You know, if you, <laughs> you couldn't spit in London without hitting an oligarch. It's Friday, June twenty fourth, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. My name is Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and Brexit podcast maker. And with me today, uh, as always, is Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Frogleg Crusader. <laughs> yeah, it's been. Uh, it was the the Brexit referendum anniversary yesterday, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah the anniversary of uh, the day that uh, yeah, um, England and Wales voted to leave the uh, European Union, and uh, Scotland <laughs> and Northern Ireland voted to stay in. And uh, yeah, well done to Northern Ireland for actually achieving that. And for Northern Ireland, England, and Wales, uh, who all achieved their ambitions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I um, I don't know if we ever, ever mentioned this on the podcast, but I also have an, another podcast. Uh, yeah. It's in Dutch. It's called the Politieke Popcorncast. Yeah. We mostly focus on the political theater and the scandals. And, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's uh, really, yeah it's, it's kind of very Ophef dominated. So if you're a fan yeah. of Ophef and you can uh, understand Dutch well enough, then listen to Paul and uh, his, his friend Stan uh, talking about all the kind of uh, remarkable things that go on in Dutch politics. Exactly, and we had a very special guest on that podcast uh, this week. Yeah. That was uh, Tim de Witt, uh, the NOS correspondent uh, for the United Kingdom from 2015 to uh, yeah, just uh, last uh, year, wasn't it? Last year, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and when he um, uh, applied for the for the job, uh, mm. he just assumed that it was going to be just as boring as his time in Germany. <laughs> yeah. uh, the United Kingdom at that time uh, appeared to be a very stable country with uh, prime ministers that uh, stayed on for at least uh, ten years, with yeah. the exception of Gordon Brown, of course. But yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's a different story. Um, and he arrived there, and all of a sudden, uh, yeah, the United Kingdom voted uh, to leave uh, the. European Union and that set in motion mm. an endless stream of yeah disasters <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a chain um, reaction of ophefs basically yeah and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and disasters and catastrophes and we've had i think three general elections since then as well so uh, suddenly the uk has become it the new italy basically yeah yeah so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah with just so, as many prime ministers yeah and, and then uh, three prime ministers as well of course because cameron resigned um, and ran away, and then uh, yeah, and then uh, Theresa May, took over May for ran away as well. <laughs> yes, she ran away yeah, in a ball gown, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and now it's Boris Johnson, sort of a, a, a bursting out of his suit, his ill-fitting yeah, yeah. one-piece suit. Yeah, yeah, and uh, sometimes hitting in a fridge. Um, yes. yes, speaking of hiding in fridges, did you hear what happened with the? Um, uh, I don't want to talk about UK politics too much, but did you hear what happened with the the, the, the UK by-elections uh, on Thursday night? Um, yes. I I saw I had some push uh, push messages from the BBC on my phone. I didn't really yeah. read it because I had to write the scripts of this oh, yeah. podcast this morning, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. I failed to do yesterday. Uh, yeah. But I, I it didn't go well for Boris Johnson, I assume, right? No, it didn't go well for Boris Johnson. The Conservatives lost both uh, b- both the seats uh, where they were holding by elections. But then the uh, the Conservative candidate uh, in Tiverton, I think, won the seats. Um, then went and hid in the dance studio and locked the locked the door from the inside because mm-hmm. she didn't want to speak to the media yeah, so it's yeah. A, it looks like a sort of hide yet and the only thing i can conclude was that there, there wasn't a fridge available at the time yeah <laughs> so she had to hide in, in, in a dance studio exactly instead. in a slightly larger area yeah um 
Yeah, uh, I have n really no transition here except that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that, no, they, they, it is kind of related to the European Union, actually. This That's is, right. Uh, That's right. Story. Yeah. Because <laughs> the European well, Union has told um, uh, the Netherlands that it needs to cut down on its uh, import of frogs' legs. Apparently, wow. the Dutch consume 2.6 million kilos of frogs' legs in the last 10 years. Who knew? I. I have absolutely no words. No, <laughs> it's indeed. A, we are the, yeah. we are the, after France and Belgium. Yeah. Apparently, the Netherlands is the country that 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 consumes the most frog yeah. legs. The in biggest Europe. importer of frogs legs. Yeah, you never see them on a menu, so I guess they just get rendered and then sold in supermarkets as beef or something. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> or as IKEA meatballs. Now, the yeah. only place where I've ever seen them is uh, for some reason at Chinese restaurants. Yeah. Uh, I yeah I. I I have also not an explanation why that is a thing in Chinese restaurants, but uh, usually the more obscure the Chinese restaurant is, mm. the more frog legs they serve, yeah, I think. Indeed, and yeah, the more kind of uh, faithful they are to authentic Chinese cuisine, which yeah, involves all kinds of uh, yeah, animals yeah. that we don't <laughs> tend to eat much in, uh, in in Europe, which is fine, you know, different cultures eat different things. But uh, with frog's legs, um, yeah, the, the EU says um, it needs to cut down because uh, the, the, of all the 27 EU countries imported uh, 40,000 tons in the last 10 years, and uh, that involved uh, up to 2 billion frogs being caught and killed, and they're mostly exported live from uh, countries like Indonesia, Vietnam, Turkey, and Albania. And obviously there are all kinds of concerns about animal welfare, which is the big issue in the EU. So the EU is saying that uh, yeah, countries like France and Belgium and the Netherlands uh, need to yeah, need to eat uh, fewer frogs' legs, basically. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm happy to contribute to this, but uh, I mean, my frog leg uh, consumption is uh, yeah. zero. You're, you're like a flea-lunt on, uh, on the map of uh, nitrogen <laughs> pollution, aren't you? Like, uh, yeah. Been told to yeah. you, you're going to cut your consumption by 95% of zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is this is this is a great uh, uh, comparison, I, th uh, I think. So the uh, the European Union is calling uh, calling actually for a a frog exit. That's basically what they're yes, doing, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Frog leg consumers are being told to hop it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, hopping, we really need to move on. Um, we do. That brings us to the OPEF of the week, and I think you're going to like this uh, this one, Gordon. Definitely, uh, because it comes from uh, this podcast's favorite city, uh, and that is uh, Almere, of Almere. course. Almere, uh, fantastic! That's, uh, this uh, lovely city in Flevoland is wonderful currently hosting. Yeah. wonderful place yeah. uh, to avoid. Um, <laughs> it's uh, currently hosting the Floriade. Have you ever heard of the Floriade? I haven't heard of the Floriade. No, no, not at all. Well, no. it is. It, yeah, the Floriade is is basically the garden and agriculture equivalent of the World Expo. It's whole, yeah. it's held every ten years in the Netherlands, always in the Netherlands uh, at various locations. Cities have, you know, a whole bidding process. Uh, yeah. So it's 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 it's, it's kind of a big thing, except that nobody is interested in it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's held at various locations, illustrious locations such as uh, Zoetermeer and yeah. uh, the, uh, the Haarlemmermeer polder. Uh, but unfortunately for Almere, the 2022 edition has turned out to be a disaster. It was opened in April, after which visitors complained about the deplorable and unfinished state of the gardens, the pavilions <laughs> and the attractions. They felt the entry price of 29 euros, excluding parking. Excluding parking. 
Yeah, but also the ex- the uh, yeah the the costs were generally just way too high. And the uh, sporadic per- person I saw on Twitter who actually went there always uh, said that the the park was completely empty. They, yeah. they were basically yeah. the the only ones there. That's uh, actually, I mean, Amir is a place that should be paying you to park your car there. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, or even to f- come and visit you, uh, visit the place. Yeah. It's actually quite large, though. It's, it's it really, is. it's really striking to. Yeah, I mean, the Floriade uh, oh, grounds. Floriade it's, it's, right. Yeah, it's 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 kind of kind of strange to see how empty it is. But mm. um, yeah, the real upheft though are yeah the costs because as you can expect, uh, such an event just costs way too money. And mm. due to the disappointing visitors mon- numbers, uh, the municipality of Almere announced this week that it expects that it needs to pay an extra thirty-four million euros mm. on top of the forty-two million it had already invested in the Floriade. Um, a visibly emotional alderman informed the city council about the unforeseen extra cost. Uh, it was expected 2 million people would visit the exhibition, uh, which is planned to close in October, but uh, it is adjusted to 1.2 million, uh, which yeah, already sounds way too too, uh, too optimistic in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, until now, so that's from April to, to now, so that's over two months, uh, the Floriade welcomed 232 and a half thousand visitors which is a third of what they had expected by now um, by the point, funny yeah. thing is this news about you know the uh, the 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 fail uh, of, of the floriade uh, mm-hmm. prompted a lot of people to just be interested in it to see how right. how terrible it actually is so there <laughs> a lot of people are now planning to go just to to experience um yeah the the, the terribleness of, yeah. of the floriade yeah, so they might get a few ramp touristen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm also tempted to go just to see how bad it is. But I'm, I'm, I haven't decided if I'm willing to pay uh, 29 euros plus the emotional cost of traveling to Almere. Uh, I, I haven't decided if that's worth uh, yeah. the visit yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to book a therapist for when you come back from Almere. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this week, tens of thousands of angry farmers protested in a field in Stru, of all places, against mm. the government's plan to tackle nitrogen pollution. Coronavirus is making the worst comeback since Soldat van Oranje started playing again. Lots mm. of politics news, including Mark Rutte U-turning his way around Brussels, more Schiphol disaster, and a spectacular archaeological find in Gelderland. Was this a spectacular archaeological find dug up by a tractor while it was driving uh, <laughs> on a verge beside a motorway? <laughs> yeah, that could have. This is this is a plausible scenario. Uh, uh, Tens of thousands of farmers protested against the government's plans to combat nitrogen pollution at a farm in the Gelderland village of Stroo on Wednesday. The plans will inevitably lead to forced closings of farms in the coming years, particularly in environmentally sensitive areas. Although the exact numbers remains unclear. Um, according to the organization, 40,000 people took part in the demonstration. Many of the farmers came by tractor, which led to chaos on the roads during the morning rush hour. Tractors are not allowed on motorways, but some farmers did it anyway. Um, farmers drove their tractors around a police blockade at the A7 uh, near Drachte and halted traffic by driving across all lanes. Yeah, and there wasn't there somewhere where the, t- the farmers actually uh, drove against the traffic as well? They, yeah, they, that's, they the next, uh, that's, oh, sorry. that's the next line. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's not exactly the next line it's one right. uh, i think the one after that okay. um 
The police is now trying to track down uh, tractor drivers that broke the rules, but this has made difficult because many had hit their license plates. Um, also, there's not. Also, one of these interesting things uh, since January, tractors have a, uh, you know, are obliged to have a driver's license mm. uh, or, or or license plates. Yeah. Um, um, but it is it isn't enforced until July first. Yeah. So actually, the police now doesn't have a ground to fine. Uh, tractors that hit their tri- license plates yeah so uh, so if, if you kept your license plates on you can be fined by the police um yeah for, for being, being on, a on a motorway but you can't actually but be you fined cannot if you be took, fined if you took your license plate off to conceal exactly. the fact that you were on yeah. the motorway yeah yeah welcome Great. to the netherlands <laughs> um <laughs> for everything Exactly. Yeah. As you already mentioned, one incident on the A12 motorway near Ada. Uh, there was a tractor that collided with a lorry and that led to three people being taken to the hospital. These were all, uh, they were all sitting on that tractor. So mm. yeah, it uh, turns out that a tractor is not a very safe mode of transportation on motorways. Mm. Um, there were also two MPs from coalition parties, VVD and D66. They had planned to attend the rally uh, to just, you know, talk to the angry farmers and to explain the government's plans. Uh, they were actually invited by the farmers, uh, by the way, but they had to call off their yeah. visit on the advice of the counterterrorism coordinator, NCTV. Um, the MPs were told that their safety could not be guaranteed if they traveled to Stru. So yeah, that uh, yeah, uh, indicates how yeah. Um, yeah, hostile the uh, the situation was there. There was small upheft though, because other MPs that are more sympathetic with the farmers and you know are more... Uh, mostly the le- the right wing parties, uh, as mm. well as um, uh, Caroline van der Plas of the uh, Boerburgerbeweging, the farmers um, uh, civilians uh, movement, they travel to uh, to Stru, uh, d- despite the other MPs uh, 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 that were advised not to go there. Yeah. Uh, there was opef about that because they said, you know, you should have been. Uh, sympathetic with uh, 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 with these MPs and showed solidarity by also not going. But yeah, that's uh, that tends to be the standard procedure, doesn't it? Because I remember there was um, there's there been instances in the past where uh, foreign delegations have been cancelled because the PPV weren't invited, and so all the other parties pulled out in solidarity yeah, with the PPV, even though they deeply disagree with them. There was an uh, there was an uh, official visit to uh, Egypt, I believe, by yeah. the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, and the PVV MP there, uh, Raymond de Roon, uh, was not allowed uh, to enter the country. And out of solidarity, the rest of the committee also decided not to go. And there were also other um, uh, uh, incidents uh, like this as well. So yeah, this is a breach with uh, with tradition or with. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, with an protocols. unspoken rule yeah. Pr- yeah. protocol. Yeah, so yeah. that's right. Yeah, so not nice. Yeah, so these yeah, so these farmers obviously a fun-loving bunch um, who who just occasionally uh, th- threaten a um, uh, a uh, an MP or send a, a fleet of tractors around a minister's house to, um, to to noise her up while her children are having dinner. Yeah, uh, but perfectly harmless, good, decent people just wanting to fight for their livelihoods. Um, and the Trader Karma, they held a debate on the plans uh, the day after the demonstration, where uh, I think two ministers came in for a bit of criticism, right? That's right, and this is one of these debates that started uh, early in the morning and lasted well into the night. Yeah. I believe they they finished at one <coughs> one a.m. So yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, did that did was, we have uh, the famous moment where the usher comes along, stops the debate while he changes the calendar on the stroke of midnight? 
at least that tradition <laughs> is upheld uh, uh, in the new uh, Tweede Kamer building. Yeah, that was also the case. That's also all, always my favorite moment. Yeah. Uh, because I have this scheurkalender, right? Is there an English name for that? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so like, like a tear-off calendar, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The, the one, yeah. This thing that you, you have in, uh, in your toilet. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, th- that also happens. Yeah. Um, does, it have, does it have all the MPs' birthdays marked on it as well? Because that's how, that's how toilet <laughs> calendars work, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder now. They should have. I'm, they should I'm sure that. they ha- yeah. yeah, really, yeah. And then uh, they can sing a, a happy birthday song for, for whoever is still uh, yeah. sitting in the chamber. But, yeah, uh, and wish uh, them with a cake. Yeah, and uh, wish them with a cake, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, as you said, the, the, the strategy uh, of the government has received a barrage of criticism uh, since it was presented on uh, Friday two weeks ago. Um, lots of farmers are unhappy with it. Opposition parties are unhappy with it, but also uh, members from the coalition party as well. The VVD party Congress called for a change of hearts, uh, while the Kistanini and the CDA have also called for a rethink of some policies. Um, uh, D66, interestingly enough, called for even stricter yeah, yeah. <laughs> measures uh, in a sort of they were just trying to uh, how do you say that uh, throw with a thick in the in the uh, stick yeah, in the hand. I think they're just uh, kind of trying to hold up their end, but when they because they're uh, obviously the one party in the coalition that doesn't have a big support among the uh, rural or farming community. Exactly. Yeah. Um, left-wing parties during the debate complained that the plans were too little, too late, while other opposition parties, uh, mostly the right-wing parties, criticized mm. the severe impact on some farmers and sometimes just uh, simply outright denying there is a problem with nitrogen pollution at all. Yeah. Uh, nitrogen Minister Christiane van der Wallen remained firm, however, saying that the plans are simply unavoidable. A Council of State ruling in 2019 is simply forcing the government to take the actions as they were presented in the strategy. Uh, the ruling, uh, as we mentioned many times before, has led to a backlog in house building and infrastructure projects because it requires the government to come up with a new environmental regulations for building permits. Van der Waal's plans gives the 12 provinces a year to come up with measures to meet specific local targets by 2030, varying from 12% to 70% in most vulnerable regions. Uh, she said that the proposals were designed to be guidelines rather than directives, but the target of cutting nitrogen oxidite levels by 50% in less than seven years is non-negotiable. It means for some of our farmers they will not be able to continue with their business as they have done, she said. Yeah, it was. Uh, t- uh, I watched not the entire debate because I just couldn't be bothered. But you'd have uh, lost the will to live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But there was a lot of uh, discussion about this this map that was presented in 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 the uh, in the government's plans. The, it is a colorized mm. map with you know with uh, areas uh, and and the, and the specific uh, nitrogen reduction goals. Um, and um, th- there was also a, a earlier version of this map leaked uh, uh, a week ago, and especially Peter Omzicht, uh, yeah, wanted wanted to clarification on that. Uh, w- why was it changed? Uh, it was yeah. also uh, the whole color scheme was also changed, so that made uh, uh, th- that that sort of uh, made the map, the second map, look completely different from the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in some areas, also the the percentages had actually changed if you looked closely. And he just right. really wanted to know. What it was about, especially in um, in the area where he comes from, the Achterhoek yeah. uh, or Twente, I have to say, uh, uh, these changes were quite severe, uh, yeah. and he suspected, or that was basically his 
the underlying theory was that uh, th this was done um, uh, under pressure from coalition part partners. Uh, um, th this old version was shown to them, and they yeah. made some suggestions, and then it's, then it was changed. That was that was uh, sort of the the suggestion uh, that was made. Um, so yeah, it, it, the, the the debate seemed to focus uh, a long time on this particular map, yeah. um, and also. Um, um, uh, Caroline van der Plas already mentioned her. She said, "Yeah, can't we just uh, scrap a lot of these uh, not n Natura 2000 uh, areas, which uh, which are the vulnerable?" She wants to halve the number, didn't she? She and Yeah, came up with this. Sorry, she and Yeah, came up with this alternative plan, which involved halving the number of Natura 2000 areas. But of course, that's something you have to negotiate with uh, the rest of the European Union. Yeah, and especially because the Netherlands is literally, after Malta, I believe, the worst country if it comes to environmental protection, then, mm. yeah, you don't have really uh, any leverage to, to negotiate with. Um, so, yeah, that that's basically a fruit, fruitless plan, uh, yeah. a fruitless suggestion. That's it's just not something that the European uh, Commission will ever uh, comply with. So, yeah, yeah that's... Um, it's a, it's a creative solution, and uh, the, uh, I believe Tom van Kampen, the VVD MP uh, responsible for the nitrogen um, dossier, he said, yeah, I, sometimes I wake up and I think, yeah, can't we just scrap all these Natura 2000 uh, areas? But yeah, that's just something that, this, that's the reality we have to deal with. And also hmm. the, um, the, the court ruling uh, states that we have to protect these areas and yeah. as they were in existence at the time of this ruling. So, yeah, you can't just... Uh, this is just the legal uh, reality. We have to do something about it. And yeah. yeah, you can deny that there is a problem or you just can deny that these uh, uh, Natura 2000 should exist. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something that you can, uh, you can avoid. Yeah, and there's a, I think in general, what I got from the debate and the general discussions is there is a huge amount of denial going on in general. It's, you know, the, the, the whole kind of fact that people are hung up on the map suggests that the, 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 they were nitpicking over the details and things like uh, pointing out things like uh, that Fle the, the, the Vaden Islands, like Fleeland, have been told to reduce their nitrogen um, emissions by 95% when they don't actually have any farms. So yeah, yeah, there are little details and anomalies that need to be ironed out, but the, the, the general overall picture is not going to change. So we have to cut nitrogen emissions by or nitrogen compound emissions by 50% by 2030 because that is what the court has ruled and that is a binding judgment based on the law that we've agreed with the rest of Europe and it's because yeah. for the last 30 years really the Dutch farming industry has been in denial about how much of a heavy polluter it is and the fact that intensive farming is not good for the environment and we have to come up with a, you know, a very different way of um, uh, farming and producing food in this country for the long term, because what we have now is unsustainable. And really what the farmers are being offered is, is a redundancy package. And on actually pretty good terms, they're being offered, I think, or well, the proposal from the, um, uh, the, the Environmental uh, Protection Agency, the, uh, or the Environmental Planning Agency, is to give them 130% of the value of their farms. Yeah. So when you think that about more than 40% of dairy farmers are millionaires in the Netherlands, these are not <laughs> poor people being financially ruined by, you know, by, by, by uh, um, uh, by a hostile government. This is a redundancy plan for an industry that's not sustainable and they, they need to start working with it. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, again, I keep saying this, 70% um, uh, reduction uh, doesn't mean we need to get rid of 70% of the farmers, which some people no. still remain to think. They reckon uh, about one third of farmers will have to give yeah. up. That's a good headline figure. 
And to be honest, that's not even an unrealistic number because surveys have shown over the years that around that percentage, farmers are considering to stop anyway because of, you know, pressing rules or they just don't have a successor. Uh, Farms tend to be a family family business, of course, but uh, yeah, very often uh, young people are not very interested in, you know, uh, (laughs) working from from 5 uh, a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. Um, um, So, so, yeah. Yeah. It's hard work. You don't get paid much for your milk. There are lots of downsides. There are lots of reasons to give up if you're offered decent terms. And I think, yeah, they should be offered decent terms. You know, it's, of course, yeah. And that's fine. But, they... but, 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 but just to simply stand there and resist and say we don't have a nitrogen problem, is it's not going to get you anywhere, ultimately. Yeah. And and of course we're going to have cases that uh, you know especially in these uh, in these areas where we, where uh, almost a one hundred percent reduction is required, mm-hmm. um, you're gonna have farmers that do not wish to move or wish to stop their operation, uh, want to uh, keep keep farming, uh, but yeah there are I think there are alternatives possible. Uh, Perhaps they can move, or, you know. I don't think the, the situation is as uh, bleak as, as many people seem to think it is for all these farmers. Yeah, yeah. It's not Farmageddon. <laughs> no. <laughs> I Let's think that's our, that, 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 should be, that should be our episode <laughs> title, yeah. yeah. People over 60 have been urged to get their second coronavirus booster as the number of cases starts to rise again. Health Minister Ernst Kaupers said there was no need for extra measures, even though the number of positive tests has doubled in the last 10 days, and nearly 7 in 10 people who go for a test turn out to have the virus, which is kind of back up to the peak levels of um, positive test rates. Kaupers said it was important to stick to the basic rules. He said, wash your hands. I mean, are we still doing this, really? <laughs> Saying this, uh, these, the virus spreads by people not wash, uh, leaving, leaving it on surfaces? Anyway... <laughs> Ventilate closed spaces, okay, that does make sense, and keep your distance where possible, but, you know, don't uh, don't make too much of an effort. And be careful around vulnerable people, but not in any specific way, like wearing a face mask or doing a self-test before you visit them. Kaupas said he wasn't surprised to see a rise in cases because, uh, quote, we know the virus hasn't gone, but uh, he was focusing on the pressure on hospitals and people not going to work. And then I guess, you know, if you're if you're not actually doing any more testing for a coronavirus, you're not advising people to take self-tests or offering them self-tests, then they're just going to carry on going to work while they're infected and they'll spread it around and the cases will go up. Surprise, surprise. We've kind of got a coronavirus gedoogbeleid. Again, a gedoogbeleid. Um, yeah. And so are there any signs of an increase in hospital numbers? Uh, yes, there are. Um, there's nearly 600 people in hospital with coronavirus now, and that number has doubled in the last three weeks which uh, is sort of a sign that the summer wave has been running for about five weeks now because it takes two weeks for um, infections to start showing up in the hospital numbers. But there's no real increase in uh, intensive care cases at all. There's uh, 25 Hmm. intensive care patients with coronavirus, which is only 4% of the total. And like a year ago, 40% of coronavirus patients in hospital were in intensive care. So I guess that's a good sign. Um, And that's, yeah, less than a month ago, we actually had more intensive care cases. So that might explain why Cowpers is uh, sounding uh, pretty relaxed about the figures. Um, But other measures like sewage measurements, which we're all looking at these days because there's nothing else, uh, (laughs) suggest the amount of virus is back up to the level we saw in early April. So we might very well be uh, heading into the shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 literally. Uh, I, I really am not ready for another comeback of coronavirus, I have to yeah, say. Yeah, it started, I, uh, I think. 
Um, yeah, it's starting uh, again. Uh, I, I'm really uh, already tired of, of, of coronavirus, I have to admit. Um, but um, luckily for me, there is a little mystery going on. Yes, so that might, might, that, that might revitalize my interest in, uh, <laughs> in Corona again. I doubt it. No, yeah. <laughs> maybe we get the Scooby Doo team in to see who it was. Uh, um, I mean, Hans Cowper's face sort of looks like a sort of Scooby Doo mask, doesn't it? That uh, you know the fairground owner would wear to scare off uh, people who didn't yeah. want to uh, get get to his uh, his secret gold stash. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. The statistics agency CBS and the public health agency RIVM are still trying to account for a spike in excess deaths during the autumn of 2021. That was the third huh. wave. Um, we know coronavirus was responsible for around 40,000 deaths during the first 18 months of the pandemic, but in the third wave there were 11,300 more deaths than you'd normally expect that time of year, and only 7,900 have been uh, put down to coronavirus, so that leaves 3,400 that are unaccounted for. And that obviously is fuel conspiracy theories that maybe the vaccines are killing people off in secret, or people are you know so being uh, given a, a dose. Of, farmers are being given a dose of Novichok to get rid of them, or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, the RFM specifically addressed that point. They said in general the vaccines offered good protection against falling sick with COVID nineteen, and people uh, who just had a uh, booster shot or a vaccine in the uh, in the last few weeks were generally healthier than those who hadn't. Uh, in total, they did find eleven cases where the vaccine was likely. To to have been responsible for somebody's death, usually uh, by starting off a chain of um, other underlying conditions that they already had. So that's 11 cases where the vaccine possibly contributed to somebody dying out of 166,000 that they studied. Mm. So, um, And is there... Uh, so, so yeah, what do we know about these uh, uh, unexplained deaths? What we do know is about a third of them were in nursing homes among people aged 65 to 80, which kind of tallies with the pattern of uh, deaths, excess deaths for, from coronavirus. Uh, the speculation is things like uh, perhaps people's treatment for medical conditions was delayed because they couldn't get into hospital because uh, because of the lockdown and the, the the wards being full of coronavirus patients, or they couldn't get treatment at all, or hospital staff were operating under extreme pressure. Um, but I, I mean, I think certainly one thing this is is a chronic case of bad record keeping. The problem is that deaths from coronavirus take so long to filter through. The RIVM's dashboard today says officially in total 22,500 people have died from COVID-19. Oh. But of course, we know from the ABS when they go back through the death certificates that at least 40,000 have actually died. And the RVM only uh, record the numbers that have been reported by the local health boards, which uh, yeah. who are not obliged to report every single death. So it's all very haphazard. And of course, by the time the, the death certificates come through to the ABS, it's, uh, it's months uh, after the person has died, and that makes it harder to trace... Uh, or, or, or verify or, or check the cause of death. Yeah, I, again, I have nothing to say to no, this. No, let's, let's move I'm on. just speechless, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's uh, plenty of smaller pol political news now, so uh, here's a little roundup of what has happened this week. We begin with the announcement of the cabinet that coal-fired power plants will be boosted up in the coming period to ensure there is enough gas left to heat homes next winter. The decision was made instead of extracting more gas in the Groninger province. The Dutch gas fields are currently in the process of being shut down because of earthquakes caused by the gas extractions. Climate Minister Rob Jette, who once famously posed in front of a coal-fired power plant with a thumbs down, said the decision was prompted by the announcement of Russian state-owned gas giant Gazprom to reduce supplies of natural gas to mm. Europe. So a, a painful moment for Rob Jette there. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Um, yeah. 
so never never pose in front of uh, a, a power plant. Uh, that's no. that's a little advice I have here. Yeah. Um, according to the government's greenhouse gas reduction policy, the four coal-fired power plants in the country are currently restricted at 35% of capacity and are supposed to shut down entirely by 2030. Uh, but this uh, yeah uh, cap on capacity is now uh, being uh, increased mm. or let go. Um, measures are now also being worked out to compensate for the extra carbon emissions and yet they urged people and businesses to do all they could to cut back on gas usage. Yeah, specifically mean things like uh, having cold showers or shorter showers. Yeah, yeah for example. Or yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I don't know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but Yetan was not the only person making a dramatic U-turn this week. That's right. Prime Minister Mark Rutte uh, has given up his opposition against the European Union candidacy of Ukraine. At the EU summit in Brussels this week, the 27 European leaders have unanimously given green lights to the country's candidacy, as well as to Moldova, uh, that uh, also borders Russia. Until now, the Dutch government has always been reluctant, if not outright, against the idea of Ukraine becoming a member of the European Union, saying that the speeding up of these so-called Copenhagen protocols could set up an unwanted precedent. Uh, in a 2016 referendum, uh, was it 2016? No, uh, 2017. Yes, it was. No, 2016, yeah. I think, yeah. Another terrible 2016 <coughs> referendum. The Netherlands had spoken out against an association treaty between the EU and Ukraine. Rutte had promised after the vote that the Netherlands does not want Ukraine to become a member of the EU. But the uh, Prime Minister has changed his mind, however, saying that the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has changed everything. And following a positive advice by the European Commission, the Netherlands could no longer uphold its opposition. Yeah. Did he also offer every Ukrainian a thousand euros? <laughs> No more money to Ukraine. Yeah. No, no, yeah, yes. Yeah. So an EU, no, yeah. Uh, so an EU Ukraine U-turn. That's, uh, yeah. that's a nice thing. Yeah, that's um, a good uh, episode title. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the, the subject of the infamous Ukraine referendum uh, brings us on to our favourite uh, uh, infamous uh, MP as well, Thierry Baudet. What's what's he been up to? Exactly, because he is the, he was the driving force uh, behind that uh, that referendum, of course, and his yeah. political party. Uh, was founded as a result of this uh, mm. uh, uh, outcome. Yeah. Uh, but MPs have filed an official complaint against uh, Forum for Democracy leader Thierry Baudet uh, for refusing to declare his outside interests and earnings, which could lead to uh, a suspension for a month. MPs must register any income they receive in addition to their parliamentary salary in a public registry. The Parliamentary Integrity Commission concluded in March that Baudet, who is also an author and gives occasional paid lectures, and he's also the owner of the director, I have to say, of his party's publishing company, has so far refused to officially declare his obvious other incomes. Yeah. And three months later, he still refuses, which prompted the complaint by MPs from eight parties. And if the complaint is upheld, Baudet could be suspended for a month in which he is not allowed to speak, but he is allowed to vote. And in a reaction, Baudet said that MPs are too obsessed with fake public scrutiny, but that the real corruption is in the political job carousel. Yeah, of the course. Banches carousel. Yeah, yeah. Did he arouse suspicion um, by uh, insisting on receiving his income in rubles? So. <laughs> well, actually, that's... Also a plausible scenario, I have to say. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, in a, a completely unrelated uh, uh, event, uh, there's been a vote on abortion as well. 
Exactly. De Eerste yeah. Kamer has voted in favor of scrapping the compulsory five-day wait for women seeking an abortion before the operation can be carried out. The far-right and orthodox Protestant parties, as well as half of the CDA senators, interestingly enough, voted against the proposed law, which was uh, an initiative by a coalition of D66, PvdA, GroenLinks and VVD MPs. The wait currently applies to all women who are more than 16 days pregnant and want an abortion. Uh, it was included in the Dutch abortion law of 1982 and has been controversial ever since. Around 30,000 abortions a year take place in the Netherlands. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of an outcome of the... Uh, in the last coalition, Desensestig uh, and Christian Uni had this like non-aggression patch that they wouldn't introduce any legislation on abortion or uh, or euthanasia. Um, and now they sort of ditched that and they said, you, you, you can introduce something um, and we'll just vote against it and see how it pans out. Well, the arrangement was that yeah. the cabinet, because also ministers also have also a legislative task, yeah. um, the ministers wouldn't uh, introduce these laws. But yes. um, they had agreed that individual MPs, who are, after all, <laughs> the original legislative branch yeah. of of, yeah, of the Netherlands, they were allowed to do that. And after this coalition started in 2017, you saw especially Pia Dijkstra, Deze's sister MP, who introduced all these laws that would, uh, yeah, would would never be accepted by the ChristenUnie. Mm. Um, uh, and those were voted, uh, th- those were put to the vote and yeah. were... Uh, accepted uh, a couple of times. Yeah, and they agreed, uh, have a, they agreed it would be a free vote, didn't they? So uh, yeah. the cabinet, uh, the coalition parties didn't have to vote. The, the cabinet wouldn't take a line, so the coalition exactly. parties were free to yeah. vote according to their yeah. conscience. Yeah. Yeah, but but as a consequence, all these laws that would you know otherwise could be blocked by the ChristenUnie if they yeah. <laughs> did a better job negotiating, I guess, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, uh, passed anyway. So we have the donor law, we have this this abortion law. There's also uh, the euthanasia law, for example. All these uh, laws that, by the way, all had very negative advice <laughs> by the mm. Council of State. Uh, MPs tend to, uh, to 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 completely ignore that. Yeah. Um, uh, they were all passed. So yeah, that's. Um, uh, yeah, uh, that's the story. As Anne Scapper said, coronavirus hasn't gone away and neither have our shameless demands for you to give us some of your money. But this podcast really couldn't happen without the generous support of our patrons. And so, as ever, this is the moment when we give a big thank you and a shout out to everyone who's backed us to keep bringing you the latest news from delightful places as diverse as Amsterdam, Stroo and Almere. If you're not already a sponsor, you can sign up for as little as a dollar, a euro or a pound a day and we'll reward you with a shout out on the next episode, the opportunity to ask us a question and our undying gratitude. So if you'd like to join the ranks of Dutch News patrons, go to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. Transavia and EasyJet are the latest airlines to cancel flights from Schiphol this summer after the airport announced a cap on passenger numbers. Transavia said on Wednesday that 13,000 passengers on 240 flights would have their tickets cancelled, but 70% would be offered alternative flights around the same time, or probably at about sort of five in the morning, which has uh, been my personal experience <laughs> in this episode. Uh, not with Transavia, I have to say. Anyone who wants to rebook will have to wait until after the holiday season, because Transavia isn't accepting new bookings until August the 28th. EasyJet is scrapping an unspecified number of flights, most of them on routes to the UK, like uh, London Gatwick or Bristol, don't know why I mentioned that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> where they fly several times a day. 
Holiday destinations like Spain, Portugal and Greece won't be affected. Just desperate sods trying to fly to Britain. KLM, on the other hand, is still taking bookings for the peak dates in the second half of July. Little tip there, as I discovered uh, when uh, my EasyJet's flight was moved back to six in the morning this week. Uh, so if your flight's cancelled and KLM has a suitable alternative, you can maybe try your luck with them. And again, this I think, just comes down to the law that KLM uh, just does as it pleases. Even if it's told to cancel flights and stop taking bookings, it says, nah, we're not doing that. A lot of, uh, lot of personal uh, grievances uh, that you managed you to you sub- subtly uh, <laughs> put into this story. Um, on the Dutch News uh, Twitter account, uh, there is a uh, interesting thread with uh, all the uh, Dutch News crew's experiences in uh, trying to board airplanes and, and stuff like that. So Yeah, and uh, experiencing the hell of the queues in Amsterdam and contrasting it with the fact that a place like Rotterdam or other European cities like uh, i think uh, someone went to split this week uh there's yeah, absolutely, absolutely yeah. zero queues you can get through in yeah. like half a minute yeah um and places where we will uh, not see queues as well is uh, lelystad right no no uh lelystad is not going to be picking up the slack um from skipple anytime soon in fact it's looking increasingly like never uh, etl news reported uh, that the transport ministry is going to delay the decision on when or whether to open the airport for another two years, even though it was written into the coalition agreement that they were supposed to decide this year. Lelystad was originally due to open in 2018 to relieve pressure on Schiphol, which was nearing its limit of 500,000 flights a year. And if you go to Lelystad, uh, there is a terminal there. It's uh, got everything. It's got uh, gates. It's got signs. It's got uh, security. It's got rails for passengers to queue at, but not a single commercial flight has actually taken off. Um, and the whole project has cost 200 million euros. It just looks like a uh, uh, one of these uh, the airports that are built specifically for for the Olympics or for the Winter yeah. Olympics uh, in in places that will never get any flights or visitors afterwards. Uh, no, they, 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 they should, yeah. it's a shame uh, Dick Mass isn't still around because you could just tell him to sort of film a terrible <laughs> give it to give it to him as a set to to film one of his famous uh, terrible horror movies. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'm and, sure he can come up with something. What do we think the the t- title of this movie will be? Will it just be Airport or will it be Lelystad? Uh, I, I would call it Lelystad. That would yeah, be enough to strike so. fear into anyone. Exactly. Yeah. Grounded in Lelystad. Imagine that. Yeah. It sent shivers down my spine already. <sighs> the latest setback came in March when it turned out that the, the nitrogen oxide emissions have been underestimated. There we are. So it all, all comes back to stick stuff again. Yeah. And the cabinet also decided this week to reduce the number of flights taking off from Schiphol to 440,000 after next year. So Schiphol, after years and years of pretty much uh, unchecked growth, is now finally having to scale back a bit. Uh, That's mainly because of noise pollution. Aviation Minister Mark Harbers will give more details at a press conference on Friday. And I think I'm going to link in the liner notes to uh, a really nice film that RTL News uh, did a couple of years ago where they actually went on a tour of Lelystad Airport, which is all beautiful and pristine and completely useless because it's never <laughs> going to get used it's, it's almost tragic yeah they were t- taken on a tour by a woman i think i think the ceo of the airport i should have checked that but uh, i just kind of think what must that be like to have as your job just to wake up every morning and go to an airport that is never gonna run i mean what do you do all day it's not her fault but uh, you know it does uh, it must be very surreal i don't know yeah. the english term for this but uh unkraut wieder uh, the, you know make the make the yeah. runway uh, it's a weed in the runway yeah. yeah yeah clear runway of of, of leaves and stuff like that maybe perhaps uh, uh, something like that i don't know um and uh, i also read now that uh, there is another 
problem with uh, the nitrogen uh, crisis, and that is right. that building projects and infrastructure projects, they need to investigate how much nitrogen they will emit, uh, but there is a enormous shortage of nitrogen experts. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> no. So, yeah, that's uh, that's another thing that nobody uh, no, no, nobody thought about. But, yeah, yeah, that's that's, uh, I, that's, I thought I saw 20,000 uh, nitrogen experts uh, staging a protest <laughs> in Gelderland this week. I should, I should ask some of them. Uh, actually, we have 17.5 million <laughs> nitrogen experts, right? That's Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, they've all been busy uh, in their other job as uh, pandemic experts for the last two years, but they should be available now. And uh, national football uh, team coaches, yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Archaeologists have found the remains of a unique and extremely well-preserved Roman temple at Hemeling in Gelderland. The site forms part of the northern border of the Roman Empire along the River Rhine, called the uh, Limes Germanicus. That's uh, uh, the border uh, yeah, at the northern edge of the Roman Empire, which, mm-hmm. uh, interestingly enough, cuts right between the Friet and Patat uh, line oh, yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. So maybe there is also a connection there. Yeah. The Romans just didn't want to go into Patat country, or they, 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 they couldn't. The, the Patat uh, army was too strong for them. Exactly, yeah. And to guard the border, the Romans built fortifications, watchtowers and roads, and also uh, yeah, settlements, uh, and that uh, yeah, required some religious buildings uh, sometimes as well. And this recent find is one, uh, one example of that. There were also remains of other Roman shrines uh, found in the vicinity at Elst, for example, and Nijmegen. Nijmegen, uh, interestingly enough, started as a Roman settlement as well. Mm. But none of these uh, uh, shrines were as well preserved as the temple at Herren The site was discovered last year when volunteers found a uh, pebble bed, which they initially thought was a Roman road. But uh, yeah, after they started uh, uh, some more diggings, uh, a treasure of artifacts was found in the near vicinity, uh, which could be dated quite easily to the first century AD. Following this uncovering, an entire temple complex was found, dedicated to the Romano-Germanic deity of Hercules Macuzanus, uh, which I never heard about, uh, but it's sort of a blend between a the Roman hero, actually the Greek hero, uh, and, and, and a uh, Germanic hero. There are many artifacts, ranging from bits of painted walls, statues of gods, jewelry, roof tiles, also some unique altar stones. They will uh, keep the specialists busy for years, the archaeologists say. Mm. We will find out which units were stationed here, but also what the soldiers who came here to put up the stones did to maintain the site. Uh, Basically, they said that thanks to this finding, they can really reconstruct the entire culture around the Roman temple, which, uh, yeah, so it's such a well-preserved temple they found. So, yeah, yeah, it's a very spectacular find. Uh, And a selection of the finds will be exhibited at the Valkhof Museum in Nijmegen from today. So if you're interested, you can uh, you can go and look there. Yeah, I wonder if the building of the temple ran into any kind of problems with like uh, nitrogen compound emissions as well. <laughs> you know, the, the <laughs> yeah, that they that they needed to 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 hire a nitrogen specialist from uh, from Rome, but yeah, yeah. they uh, they couldn't find anybody. No, yeah, exactly. But a really interesting find. So yeah, hope we uh, learn more about that over the uh, coming months. Do you know which uh, place in the vicinity of the Hague was also founded as a Roman settlement? Uh, it was Vorburg, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, is that not where it gets its name from? It was like an outpost, wasn't it? It was like uh, the, 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 the the limit of uh, uh, the Roman territory in this yeah. part of the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Some quick sports news, finally. Ajax's big summer sell-off has begun. They've offloaded last season's top scorer, Sebastian Allaire, to Borussia Dortmund for €35 million, Euros, or €31 million plus bonuses. 
The deal was confirmed on Wednesday, which was his 28th birthday, so he had plenty of money to spend on sponge cake and Tom Bruce <laughs> for his teammates. It's a pretty good return on a player who cost them £22.5 million when they signed him from West Ham United 18 months ago. Alaire scored 21 goals in the league last season and 11 in the Champions League, which partly made up for Ajax's catastrophic blunder last season, or the season before, when they forgot to register him for the <laughs> Champions League I that for- season. I forgot so he about couldn't that, play yeah. in the knockout rounds. Yeah. <laughs> Ajax also banked £24.5 million last week when they sold uh, Ryan Gravenberg, uh, a 20-year-old uh, attacking midfielder, to Bayern Munich. So Alfred Schroeder has a bit of cash to spend on rebuilding the team after Erik ten Hag's departure. I forgot to ask you, is Tim De Witt going to manage a Dutch football team now? Because he's, he's got that profile, you know, sort of a ball yeah. with a beard, <laughs> which all Dutch football managers have. So, yeah, 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 he has glasses, though. I think that, uh, oh, that's probably disqualified, yeah, that makes him yeah. unsuitable. No, he, no, he needs to take contact lenses before he can manage a football team, yeah. Schroeder's likely targets include Brian Brobby. Did you call him Schrodinger? Probably. Schrodinger, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Schrodinger's likely targets include Brian Brobby, who's already on loan from RB Leipzig. He was a former Ajax Academy player originally. And uh, Stefan Bergwijn, who is currently at Tottenham Hotspur, but previously played for PSV Eindhoven and is not to be confused with Stefan Berghaus, who joined Ajax mm. last season from Feyenoord. Yeah, very controversial move, wasn't it? Hugely, yeah, because he was uh, Feyenoord's captain and their yeah. best player and he moved to... Uh, he moved to Ajax. Um, now I guess I need to find a Stephen Berg bohm and a Stephen Berg based <laughs> to complete that set of yeah. Hersi Boom für Beesje and a Weingarde. Yeah. We already have a Bergkamp. Yes. Uh, moving on from something I don't care about to something I also don't care about, women's mm. football. There's also some news there, right? Yeah, the uh, Leovinen, the, the Orania women's team, are going to get uh, equal pay from now on. So ah. that's a nice progressive move. It was actually announced two years ago when the account base said they'd raise the women's match fee in two stages. The match fee for internationals isn't actually a huge amount of money. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. The men get around 4,000 a game. But until two years ago, the women were paid just 750 euros to play an international match, which is a bit of an insult. Yeah. But the real money for international football is earned at the World Cup and Euro tournaments, and that's always negotiated uh, by the players before the tournament and uh, also throws in the, the prize money they get from FIFA and UEFA, which is still a lot more for the men's game than the women's. And the Iranian women are, are, are quite successful in these uh, in these tournaments, right? So, exactly, yeah. They, yeah. Uh, so they deserve this money. They definitely do. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're reigning European champions and uh, they're going to defend their title next month uh, in England uh, when the uh, latest edition of the European Championships kick off and their first match is against Sweden in Sheffield on July the 9th. And um, there was also some news about uh, Max Verstappen, right? Uh, well, I mean, we haven't checked in on Max much lately, but he's been quietly uh, winning Grand Prix races. Quite yeah, because that's so boring. The news around Max yeah. is so boring. He just keeps on winning. Exactly. It's not like last season when you know he was in a neck and neck race with uh, Lewis Hamilton. He's just pulling away from his rivals. Uh, he won the Canadian Grand Prix. That was his sixth win in the first nine races of the season. He's now 46 points ahead in the Drivers' Championship. But then second place is his teammate, Sergio Perez. So actually, the, the nearest real rival is Charles Leclerc, who is uh, 49 points behind him. Verstappen, uh, as I say, has uh, won six of the nine races compared to two for Leclerc uh, and Lewis Hamilton. He's having a bit of a nightmare in uh, the Mercedes this season, but he finished third in Canada for his first podium of the year. He'll be hoping that gives him a boost ahead of his home Grand Prix at Silverstone uh, next weekend. It doesn't look like it's uh, we're going to uh, see a repeat of last uh, last year in Silverstone, right? Where Max Verstappen was basically pushed off the track he was, at yeah. the fastest corner ever at 350 kilometers an hour or something. 
something and uh, yeah. he crashed into the barriers at 53 g I, if i remember correctly wow uh, but uh yeah insane amount but lewis yeah. hamilton is um not doing so well that uh, we're going to see a repeat uh of well, he probably won't be getting quite as close to max uh this uh no. this time unless he happens to come out of the pit lane at uh, the right moment <laughs> exactly That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News. It can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, and uh, also back us on Patreon if you have some money left. Uh, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek. We'll be back next week. Thank you.